Welcome to the Speaking From Our Hearts podcast. In this edition, we'll be talking about many aspects of life, particularly health, relationships and wealth-related topics, all from a heart-centred approach. Your host, Paul Lowe, has a long and successful history of helping others through his coaching and mentoring, as well as his many charitable initiatives. He's been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from challenging backgrounds. Paul is the author of the books Mastering the Game of Life from Pain to Purpose and Speaking from Our Hearts. Welcome listeners to this Speaking from Our Hearts podcast episode where you may recall on a previous episode we had the uh, immense pleasure of um, having a conversation with Richard Gerver. Richard's an author, a speaker, a former head teacher um, and I have been directed in the nicest possible terms to be quite sort of downplaying about um, his immense achievements and I'll let Richard tell you more about those himself if we can actually uh, inspire him to do so. Um, Richard, without further ado, a very, very warm welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me back, Paul. It's great to be here with you. So, provide us with uh, some insights, Richard. Probably the best way is if we can just, um, I've already alluded to to some of your books. Do you want to give us an insight and uh, by way of laying a foundation? Yeah, sure. Um, I've got three books currently. uh, And by the time this podcast goes out, I think my fourth will be published. Uh, my first book, well, interestingly, um, <clears throat> we might come back to this. I never set out to be an author. Um, and <laughs> and my first book was kind of accidental. Um, at the time, I was leaving my career uh, in education as a, as a head teacher, school principal. Uh, a dear friend of mine said to me that I should write down all of my experiences, my memories, uh, my passions, Uh, that had driven me during my career in education just so that I could remember them. Uh, So I set about writing, I suppose, more than a diary, but really, um, you know, detailed log of of everything I'd believed in as a a teacher and as an educator and everything I'd been through specifically as a head teacher. Uh, Anyway, uh, to cut a very long story short, I I wrote that down and and, uh, a year or two after, writing it, I was approached by a publisher who said they quite liked my story and did I have a book? Uh, So I gave them my log, which became my first book, which was Creating Tomorrow's Schools Today, um, which was all about, as I say, that that journey in education. Uh, That book did very, very well. I was very lucky. um, And other publishers came circling. Uh, And they wanted a book that wasn't so specifically around education, but was around human development, um, and uh, I suppose uh, how could people develop and, and use a sense of purpose, particularly around elements of change and transformation and uncertainty. And so I wrote my second book, which was called Change, Learn to Love It, Learn to Lead It, which was uh, a much wider ranging exploration of personal development. I'm very lucky that did very, very well which in turn led to more publishers circling uh, and the genesis of my third book, which was called Simple Thinking, which, as the title suggests, was really an exploration of why it is that as we get older and older, we seem to think that the answers have to lie in the complex and complicated. Uh, So it was really an exploration of success, but pared down and a celebration of human behaviours, of instincts, of the simple 
human qualities we all possess to try and deconstruct that idea that success is only there for the few. Um, and that brings me full circle. So just over a year ago, uh, in uh, December of 2017, I was doing an education event uh, in Edinburgh, up in Scotland, and a young teacher came up to me with a very well-thumbed copy of my first book, Creating Tomorrow's Schools Today, and she said, it's been lovely to meet you and to hear you speak today, Richard, because I never thought I'd hear you speak because people told me you had nothing to do with education anymore, um, which was couldn't have been further from the truth. But anyway, it reignited my sense of purpose as an educator. Um, and I decided that having been out of education, the direct line of education as a teacher and head teacher for a decade at that point, I decided that I had learned so much in the 10 years I'd spent out of education that was so powerfully resonant for me uh, back in my former life as an educator that I decided I wanted to write a book which was about everything I'd learned in the decade left since I left school um, that I wish I'd known when I'd been in school. And so that became the fourth book, which is called Education, a Manifesto for Change. Uh, and that comes out at the start of April. So in a way, the four book cycle has gone from education to wider explorations of issues within life and back to education. So I suppose the truth is you can never stray too far from your core purpose. And uh, to an extent, I guess that's what we're going to talk about today. Very, very sweetly and, and smoothly led into that massive P word, purpose. So if I can start almost COVID-like, Richard, when beginning with the end in mind, because obviously we'll go on a, you know, a conversational journey of exploration, but what would you define as your purpose? I think it's a very interesting and very complex question. Um, at its absolute root core for me, um, I think purpose is what makes you get out of bed in the morning, what makes your heart beat faster. I think that although we portray purpose as something that is selfless, and I think that's absolutely right in its purest sense, I think a sense of purpose is uniquely selfish uh, because I think it has to square your circle. It has to... Uh, be something that makes you feel better about yourself, your life and your very existence. Um, and, and it's very interesting because really to, to, to start at the end, I need to go back to the beginning. You know, when I was young, uh, I, like a lot of people, was pretty directionless. I had loads of influences in my life, my parents, my friends, my peer group, my educators, my teachers. Uh, you know, I came from a um, an affluent middle class family where there was a certain degree of expectation on me to go down certain pathways. Um, none of which really appealed to me as a teenager. Um, I didn't want to be in business. I didn't want to go into banking. I wasn't clever enough in my own mind academically to be a lawyer uh, or a doctor or an, or an accountant. Um, but I had a passion for the arts and acting. But when you come from the kind of background I came from, uh, that really wasn't uh, an option. So I kind of surreptitiously behind a lot of my family and peer group and my teacher's advice got very involved in that thought that was where my passion and purpose lay. I don't think it was actually. And I think that the reason for that was that I kind of gave it up pretty quickly after hitting barriers. 
Um, essentially, I think probably the, the biggest barrier was actually I wasn't very good. But the truth is, if it had been my purpose, if it had been something I was really passionate about, I would have found a way. I would have kept at it and I didn't. So I must admit that I, I around the time I was 19, 20 years of age, I found myself relatively directionless. Um, I didn't want to go down the pathways I'd already described. Acting, which had been my passion as a young person, clearly was something I loved, but but was never going to be able to see through. And I'm not really sure it gave me a sense of purpose. Um, <laughs> and I think for me, that sense of purpose occurred when I decided to go back to college here in Derby, which has been my home for most of my adult life. Uh, and I went to college uh, and I was doing a kind of catch-all, pretty much licorice all sorts kind of uh, qualification. Met a young woman who, um, you know, when, when you're fortunate enough to meet a, a life partner at, at a relatively young age, you don't know she's going to be a life partner, but you, there's something deep there. Yeah. Um, and we started a relationship. She was training to be a primary school teacher at the time. Um she got me involved in her passion and purpose, which mm. was primary school teaching. I used to go into her school, uh, teach her kids some drama. And that was the moment. That was the moment. And I can only describe it as like the ignition of a spark where I suddenly, so much in my life that hadn't come together came together. I felt a profound sense of value, uh, a, a sense of mission, um, I felt a sense of well-being. Um, being in a school, working with children, uh, made my uh, heartbeat faster. And at the end of those days, I would go home feeling for the first time, I guess the best term is nourished. Um, and so that was how I discovered what I, to this day, still believe is my core purpose, right. uh, which is education. Now, whether that was the 20 years I spent in school working with kids, which was one of the, well, the most remarkable learning period of my own life mm. um, and gratifying and all the rest of it. But learning, I mean, I learned so much from those 20 years and working with human beings, many of whom were vulnerable, most of whom came from very different backgrounds to me. It was was truly extraordinary. Um, but, you know, going back to the point about the, the young teacher who said, I thought you'd left education a decade ago. Yeah, I haven't. And, and I think the truth is that what I've pursued in the time since I left my role in formal education is to try and share that sense of purpose with wider, broader audiences, with adults, with young people uh, across many different sectors and worlds and environments. Um, and to this day, you know, when I'm booked to go and give a speech or when I'm writing an article or a book or doing a podcast... On the mornings that those things happen, my heart beats a little bit faster. There's a sense of anticipation. And at the end of engaging in that way with people, um, I feel a, an immense um, sense of satisfaction that I've accomplished something that gives me and underlines my own personal sense of value. Yeah, I understand. I understand that really, really I'm struggling for an adjective that kind of sums it up with the power I feel of that, Richard. If I can, I just want to fly off at a tangent. And as you were speaking there, what was going through my mind is two, on the surface of it, very contrasting 
um, approaches to to one's purpose. And one kind of emanates from um, from Dr. Wayne Dyer, where he says, we're spiritual beings having human experiences. And I use that example, Richard, to say, I suppose in old money growing up, you know, teachers um, and doctors and nurses, in, in my understanding as a young person growing up, it was like, it was a vocation, it was a calling. There was something there. It wasn't a job. It could never be a job. Yes, you might go to, you know, university and get a degree in teaching, but that's just a piece of paper. That yeah. actual real deep, what is this? What is happening here? Yeah. And for me, that is, and this is, you know, this is a personal tale, so it may or may be different for other people, but that that deep-rooted source that inspires us to say, I'm going to go down that path. And that might initially, as you've alluded to, not even be a conscious decision, which I think, you know, as you've said, Richard, for you, it wasn't. It was kind of, it happened. Sure. But actually, is the reality that it just happened, for my way of thinking, no, it didn't. Yeah. But from a conscious kind of human being point of view, oh, well, it just happened. I, I think it's a very interesting point. And I think going back to my context and background, you know, I came from uh, third generation immigrants who escaped the brutality. Well, two sides of my family. One side uh, escaped the brutality of um, fascist Europe just prior to the First World War. And the second side of my family escaped the brutality of fascist Europe just at the outbreak of the Second World War. So I came from um, an immigrant family, Uh, came over to the UK, they settled in London. And one of the things I think that is the trait of often of immigrant families, immigrant communities coming to uh, resettling anywhere is an absolute desire to make your mark. And I remember very clearly that a lot of my older relatives, for them, that was about building businesses, not because they wanted to be flash and fancy, but because that was how you build a security Mm. of economy for your own family. You build a business, you build uh, security for your family, you build a sense of place and of being. I think what then often happens with immigrant communities, certainly like mine, is when you get down to the second or third generation. Then the aspiration is to master the life of the country you live in. And and in England, that was entering society. So it would be going to private education, which my grandparents fought tooth and nail to pay for. I didn't choose it. My parents, you know, it was that. And they did it for absolutely the right reasons. It was we want to integrate and master the society. We want to be a real pinnacle part of that society. (laughs) But what then happens, which is really interesting, and I do believe it's inadvertent because I look at my grandparents and my parents who I'm passionate about. Their their love and unconditional love for me, my brothers, my cousins, was complete. It was unequivocal. But they would then project their aspirations onto us. Now, for some of my uh, familial members of my generation, that was fine. They were pushed and ended up... For me, it never felt right. You know, that, that, so it was a natural thing that they should want me to become a professional, that they should want me to be a lawyer or an accountant or, uh, you know, somebody in finance or whatever, or starting my own business or an estate agent, whatever else it might be. 
And I just instinctively knew that wasn't right. So in many ways, you're right. Some people might describe the moment at which I discovered teaching through uh, a young woman who I was dating, who incidentally has been my wife for 26 years. Um, Some people might describe that as an accident. I, like you, don't think it was. I think my instinct was what's on offer isn't right for me because none of it's making my heart beat. Nothing there gives me a sense of grounded purpose and of real value, which led to me taking the decisions I took, which were quite controversial, which wasn't to go straight from school to a top university. It was to go into uh, repertory theatre and try and make it as an actor as an 18-year-old, which you can imagine for an aspirational middle-class immigrant community is not a top, top idea. But, you know, they supported me. But the thing was, my instinct was was wrong about the acting. But the point was, my instinct was, was driven by the right idea, which was yeah. that life isn't right for me. And that led me to try the, the acting, realise that that wasn't where I was going, which eventually took me back to a college on my own terms. So in other mm. words, I didn't go to college college because I was told to. I didn't get told which college or university to go to because I'd had that period of journey between school and then. It was on my terms, my college that I chose, choosing a course that I chose to take, which wasn't a professional degree. It was a a kind of catch-all degree in a variety of areas I just found really interesting, which led me to meet not just the young woman who steered my life, became my wife, but a whole community of peers who for the first time would never have culturally been in my social orbit if I'd stayed in the environment my parents and grandparents had wanted for me. I was in a very different social environment, but that's the point at which I found and crystallized my sense of purpose around the thing that made my heart beat faster, which was education. So I don't think it's a, the difficulty is when people talk about, was it predestined? Was it an accident? I don't believe that there is such a thing, but I do passionately believe that our subconscious has a voice we often ignore, um, which I often refer to as our instincts. And and I think the lesson that I've learned through that part of my life and and the great fortune I've experienced to get to that place where I feel I can, I, I spend so much of my time living with a sense of purpose, is that I trusted my instincts. And actually, my peer group, my family in particular, were supportive enough, despite their misgivings of my journey, to encourage me to listen to my own voice and take those actions for myself. So I think we, we too many of us dumb down our instincts too yeah. often, and we don't listen to our own subconscious. And it, I think it's a it's a really powerful and potent skill if it's something we can raise the amplification and volume on. Yeah, because that word's um, subconscious, Richard, if we take it in its, um, its alternative form of consciousness or, or God or, or source, call it what you will. You know, that's different. That's a, that's a personal, intimate relationship that's different for each and every one of us, I believe. But for me, that, that source, if we can be allowed to use that umbrella title is I always use the the very simple analogy of a mobile phone. So when we're communicating with the world, we're on our phone, as one example. Now, that phone is driven by a battery, and we will be able to talk for a given amount of time until that battery is expended. What we then need is to recharge from an external source 
that ramps us up again to be able to talk again and communicate again. And for me, and, you know, I don't sort of deal in nice, fancy, fluffy theories because obviously, you know, listeners are aware of, of my journey, which has been very stark. It's been very dark. It's been very real. It is still very real. So I like where possible to talk in real pragmatic terms about the reality of life. And the first pillar, particularly within my three pillars model, is purpose. And I think that example for me, you know, holds a lot of water because without that inspiration, we're left with internal motivation, which is very, it's limited. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think you're absolutely right. And I, I think, you know, d- despite the fact we can do, we, we should, I believe, describe any personal sense of purpose as a selfish thing. Mm. You know, in order to to feel a com- a complete as a human being, I think what's really, really important is that we find our sense of value. Yeah. And I think our sense of value then links back to our sense of purpose. And, and that's what drove me. I, I finally found my core, my place, my, my, my purpose mm. through um, understanding what my value was, what I could bring to the world on a very personal level, and, and where my unique talents, interests and passions would be best focused. And I think one of the real tragedies, for so many reasons, whether it's because we're diverted by people who care for us but push us in the wrong direction, whether it's because we don't have anyone that cares for us and therefore doesn't give us any of that emotional support, the truth is that a lot of us don't actually understand what our own personal sense of value is. We don't take long enough to try and understand the extraordinary talents and gifts we all possess, which are vastly different. Um, But what we don't do is give ourselves time to, first of all, accept them, then to understand them, then to understand how they could be of use. And if you can do all of those things, then you reach that kind of uh, utopian place, which is about a sense of personal value. Because for me, you can only truly... um, pursue as you can only have a clarity of purpose if you understand your sense of value you can't just go blindly looking for a sense of purpose if you don't understand who you are you know one of the things I often say to people and I don't think it, it it's not a it doesn't happen chronologically to us all as a coming of age thing at 16 18 or 21 you know so <laughs> pardon me for some people it happens earlier for some people it happens later but there does come a point in in adjusted people's lives where they can look in a mirror and go this is me and I'm happy with me because I know who I am and when you reach that point that's the point at which you can pursue a sense of purpose yeah and just you know yet again listening to that Richard um, it's took my mind into um, I've done the you know, one of the people I've followed, one of many people I've followed around this this enigmatic question about, you know, who am I? What's my purpose? Has um, it's been Deepak Chopra, and so Chopra's four big questions, and you've kind of just flirted beautifully in and out of those. And the first one is, who am I? What do I want? What am I grateful for? And then finally, what's my purpose? And so I particularly like. I mean, there are many kind of interpretations, as, as we've alluded to, but I particularly like, um, you know, what's my purpose? And 
Chopra defines it as seeking our higher self, whatever our interpretation of that is. Find your unique gift and use it to serve humanity. I mean, in, in my understanding of that, Richard, is that is that not simplistic but powerful beyond words? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it goes back to something that I alluded to in, in one of my, my books, which is we are so driven to overcomplicate things that actually that's where so much of our own personal uniqueness and understanding gets drowned out. There is so much noise we're told we should be listening to or generating yeah. that actually... If you strip all of those things back, whether you call it spirituality, whatever you want to call it, yeah. you know, that stillness, that stillness of mind, of spirit, that ability to reflect and self-analyze, not in some big grandiose way, mm, absolutely, but just to take time to understand who you are, what you are, what you believe in, um, and what you think your value is, are such powerful things yet so many people particularly people under duress under stress uh you know what they tend to do is is they become so desperate to find an answer first of all they scrabble out scrabble around for anything they can find they cling on to whatever they can they allow the noise to drown out the purity of of that thinking um, and the most tragic thing of all is they simply don't trust themselves. They don't trust their instincts and they don't trust their reflexes. And so, you know, that, that whole thing about stillness, about reflection, but most importantly about self-trust mm. is so powerfully important. And, you know, one of the things you see when you're fortunate enough to see people across many walks of life who are genuinely living their purpose is the one thing that will always strike you is they have an inner peace about themselves. They all truly understand who they are. They're absolutely confident and passionate about their sense of value and therefore their sense of purpose. And that gives them the kind of unshakable resilience that the rest of us so admire and aspire to. Yeah, that reminds me of a, um, a tune I play, if you can call it a tune, daily, if not three or four times a day. And it's in a quite more upbeat way than when you've alluded to, but it's from Shirley Bassey when she sings about This Is My Life. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I don't really give a damn for lost emotions. I've such a lot of love I want to give. Let me live, let me live. And what she's saying there is basically you may or may not approve. Either way is fine, but this is me. This is what I'm going to do for all my vulnerability, for all my fallibility, for all my scars, emotionally, physically. I don't care because I'm here in all my glory. Yeah. Watch out, world. Yeah. And I love that. I find that so, as I say, maybe three or four times, but certainly at least once every day. And there you go, because there you can imagine her standing, looking into a mirror and coming to terms with her, her history, yeah. her trials, her tribulations, the power of the woman and person she is, and that affirmation that she gives herself. Yeah. And I think, again, you know, we, too many of us are led to believe that our value has to be defined by the way other people see us. Yeah. 
uh, and we work too hard to be something that we're not. Mm. And actually, the truth is, and it does sound like a cliche, but I believe in it absolutely passionately. If we can learn to believe in ourselves, love ourselves, trust ourselves, and we trust that we are essentially good beings yeah. with good hearts yeah. and that we are um, communal and tribal and we want to make a positive difference, then that's enough. Um, and, and so much dissatisfaction in people comes when they're laden with masks and costumes that aren't their own emotionally. Um, and that, you know, I've met too many people who pursue a life where they feel their job is to make other people happy by making decisions based on what they think those other people would want them to be. Mm. Um, and the truth is that it, it, that's why I keep coming back to this thing about, you know, the right kind of selfishness is good. It's a good thing. Um, it's okay to pursue the things that you're passionate about. It's okay to look inward, to work out what it is that makes you tick, what it is that makes you unique and what it is you feel good about giving the world. That's all okay. Yeah. Um, as long as then what you do is you have the confidence to, to, to exude that externally. Um, I, I think some of the unhappiest people I've ever met are people who are pursuing a life they think other people want them to have. Yeah, definitely. And I sum that up, Richard, um, around a very simple phrase of, you cannot give what you do not have. Get that inner strength first, whatever that is to you. And that's completely different for all of us. But get that and then you've got something to give. But without that, you, you we're kind of just existing on a superficial level. Yes, but at least my peers or my parents or whatever, at least they approve. Well, actually, it's not their life. Yeah. Yours, absolutely, right. and they're obviously coming from, or in most cases, not all, but you know, a place of they're doing the best they can with the best intentions, but that's within the relative limited knowledge of what the world is all about, and that's certainly, you know, your your gift of life was given you so that you can find that talent, that skill, that whatever it is, own it, and then magnify it to the world, because. Yeah. Surely, without that, we just exist. And, you know, I can, I can speak as sort of from my own experience of being in Broading Docks or for many years at the coalface, wasn't even an existence. But my ego for survival was so much that, oh, yeah, I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll do this and I'll do that. And I did all that. I got fancy pieces of paper that got approval from this kid from Bestwood Estate. Nobody goes to university. Paul's got a degree. Blimey, Paul's got two degrees. Paul's got this, Paul's got that. And it was all very flattering on an ego level, but it was like, I was as miserable as sin. Yeah. Because it was for their benefit, not mine. Yeah. You know, I don't regret the university journey because the process I went through helped to contribute. The pieces of paper are actually meaningless to me. Yeah, yeah. Abs absolutely. You know, I mean, it, it does come down, doesn't it, to that thing about, Nobody on their deathbed has ever wished they had another qualification, ever wished they had another thousand dollars, ever yeah. wished they'd had another Lamborghini or a yeah. on their deathbed, the only thing people regret is that they didn't love enough, yeah. they didn't spend enough time with the people yeah. they cared about and doing the, they just what they want is more time for the simple things in, in life of human existence. And we are so sadly conditioned to believe 
that another piece of paper, another thousand pounds, another car, a bigger house, uh, a fancier holiday, um, a, a, you know, a crocodile on a t-shirt, whatever you want to call it, that those things are the things that bring us happiness. And the truth is, all they ever are is polyfiller. They, yep. don't, they don't actually, they don't fill the cracks, they don't fill the gaps, and they don't make you whole or complete. Um, and it's why for me, you know, the simplicity of human connection, human emotion, and, and the real legacy of, of making a difference to people's lives using your strengths and your interests are the things that, that, that enlighten you and make your life worth living. You know, and I suppose like so many of us, um, on the days I do fixate about my own finality and my own ending, um, all I can hope is that once I've gone, the legacy I've left the world is that people said he was kind, um, he was empowering, he was passionate, he was caring, and he made a difference to us. And that's all I think. And you know, that that's when you you die a billionaire. That's when yeah. you die. That's that's when you know you've existed for a tiny microcosmic moment on this planet, and you have really made a difference. I was just going to come in at that point, Richard, and say, only a billionaire. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> only a billionaire. Self-limiting beliefs, Paul. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just thought, you know, sort of within that, Richard, was it oversimplistic to say, well, why don't we um, as human beings go and find that, you know, and I'm generalising here, but go and find that that very powerful purpose because generally people don't do you know if i had a pound for every time i do it well life gets in the way that fluffy stuff's okay but maybe i'll read a book when i'm on holiday um yeah. but it gets in the way of reality but i you know I, and again i think you're so right that what we've done is deconstructed existence to believe that we have to have uh we have to have a certain amount of, we have to have you know it income and safety and security and all of these certain things before we can pursue the more more ethereal meaningful parts of life yeah and in my experience and again you know I've been very fortunate to meet a lot of people who are successful on a whole range of levels mm. um, but what what strikes me about all of them um, is that they have pursued their sense of purpose. And because they've done it in the right way, yep. the other stuff comes to them like yep. a magnet. Right? Absolutely. Um, and, and I think it's not an either or, or you've got to do this before you do that. And again, you know, I blame my former... I blame the traditional elements of my former career uh, and actually our instincts as human beings, mainly in the Western world, we are, where we are told that we have to seek out certainty, that certainty is the ultimate goal. And certainty means income and it means, and I'm not, I'm not a, you know, I'm not an ideologue. I know that we need money. I know that we need, yeah. uh, we need these things to survive in a, in a, in a Western society. But we're made to believe that you, the two things can't coexist. Mm. And I passionately believe they can. Yep. And I think it comes back to this really powerful word for me, which is trust. If you trust yourself, your passion, your talent, your beliefs, and ultimately your sense of purpose, you can crystallize all of it. It yep. doesn't have to be either or. Yep. Or you can choose to pursue the certainty and the safety and the capital things in life um, 
and never be satisfied and never be happy. You know, I look at my, my grandfather, who is one of my heroes. He was a remarkable role model for me. But at the same time, as I get older and I suppose wiser and more reflective, I realise how tragic so much of his life was because he had the mindset of an immigrant. His belief was his role and duty was to secure the financial safety of his family for as long a generations as he possibly could. And he was a remarkable, unbelievably hardworking man who worked seven days a week every week of the year from the time he first started as out as an adult at 16, 17 years of age until literally the day he died when he was 79. We never saw him. He never took holidays because he was working seven yeah. days a week for 20 hours a day because he believed that was his purpose and value to the rest of us. Now, in one way, it might have been because it has allowed us to have choice in our lives. But the tragic part is he never truly enjoyed his life or saw the fruits of his own labour. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, you do have to get to a point when you say, when is enough enough? When, when have I actually got to be a little bit selfish? When have I got to pursue the things that really will make a mark for me, on me, about me, on the day I'm no longer here? Yeah. And that leads in very, very nicely, Richard, to the second pillar, which is um, prosperity. Because my take upon it, and yes, initially that put in, and it's only a human construct, um, but my take upon that is to have a sense of purpose, which gave my life meaning from being embroiled with these these labels of uh, addict, violent, toxic, negative, all these things, and I gave myself a sense of purpose to serve others. Now that was for my benefit. I needed that journey. It was totally about me. The outcome was other, so many other people benefited. Yeah. And then I got to a stage where actually there needs to be more than this. What about me? Yeah. What about me? So that's where the, the prosperity of, you know, not necessarily, well, absolutely for me personally, not in financial terms, but in, it, certainly in emotional terms. What about the happiness in my life? Yeah. Because I'm giving all this stuff to the point where actually I'm starting to feel resentful now. What, you know, I do this for him or her. They didn't do anything for me. They just let me down. And so that, you know, that superficial motive soon gets exposed. Yeah. The battery on the mobile phone soon becomes very flat and the communication stops. So that was the second one, Richard, the second pillar of that prosperity. I need to feel good about me. Yeah. Yeah. That self-love, that self-forgiveness, that self-acceptance. If you like me, great. If you don't like me, great, because I have now got that internally and I don't and I don't need to what you termed the polyfiller now to fill the gaps. Yeah. And I think then on the third one is so I've got a sense of purpose, direction. I feel good about me first and foremost. I'm happy with my life. Yeah. What I've discovered through this growing through this dark soil is I need to then transfer that into philanthropy. And yet again, that's not financial. Yeah. So, world, this is what I've found. Let me give this story to you, these experiences. Let me share them. Let me help you. And so the hamster's wheel basically goes round and round. Yeah. And we help people that are, you know, are suffering. And, and then we take them on this journey of this self-love, self-forgiveness and, and all the stuff that you've alluded to. And then when they're in a place of emotional terra firma, 
surely it's like the proverbial pebble in the pond they can also then give back to humanity and yeah. so we grow together yeah i think <laughs> i think this idea of authenticity it's the word as you're talking i i you know it, it keeps coming back into my head authenticity is everything um, and it comes back to the Shirley Bassey moment, the moment when you look in the mirror and you realise who you are and what you are, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, what your passions and interests are. That's when you can be authentic. When you truly know yourself, you yeah. can be authentic. And then you can judge your actions and your de decisions on truly knowing yourself and that authenticity. And, then, <laughs> and that's when... You know, you come across people in life who you know are authentic. And the thing with authenticity that I think is really important is it is not the pursuit of popularity, right? The idea is you, as, as human beings, we are all gloriously unique. We are all organic. We are all once in, in you know, we are all one in a billion shots a moment. You know, the, 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 the strongest sperm, whatever you want to call us, right? We got there and, and we're a spark of... We, we truly are a miracle, right? Yeah. But we're all unique. And we're not built or designed to be friends and popular and happy with everybody, right? But our authentic selves will always have people we can identify with, associate with, make a difference to. But our authentic selves will also be people who grate against other people, who don't have a, and what I say is, you know, I'm very happy to, I'm very comfortable with the fact there are people on this planet who I will never see eye to eye with, will never be able to form a relationship with, yeah. never be able to construct something meaningful with. But I know that I'm being authentic. And I also, I don't begrudge those people who I also know are authentic, but the two of us are just polar opposites. Mm. The people who wind me up are the people who create and construct conflict who aren't their authentic selves. You know, I mean, we won't talk deeply about this now, but, you know, we're living in extraordinary times politically across the world right now. Yeah. And I think there's a huge number of people who feel rage, anger, and dissatisfaction, not because of policy or politics, but because they look at some of these so-called people who are supposed to be our role models and leading us into better, better times, who are just not authentic. You know, it's okay. All of us know it's okay to disagree with other human beings. Yeah. <coughs> the problem is, <clears throat> the concern is, so many of these people who are supposed to be our role models lack authenticity. And therefore, that's where the anger and hatred comes from. Yeah. And the polarisation. You know, I'm quite happy to disagree with somebody who voted differently to me on Brexit or somebody who voted differently to me in a democratic situation and it doesn't make me think of them any less or any worse. Mm. What really drives me mad are those people that I look in the eyes and I think, actually, you don't believe what you're saying and doing to mm. the rest of us right now. And I think that's huge. So that authenticity is hugely important. And I think as long as you know you are being authentic, your best self, then you just have to accept the fact that your best self is going to be great for some people and not for others. And trust that as long as you trust yourself and you trust your own instincts and behaviours, then the relationships you do build will be the productive, powerful, lifelong relationships that you need to nourish your lives and that they need for you to nourish theirs. 
Absolutely. And isn't it true that those relationships that you refer to, Richard, uh, coincidentally, and I know we had a little sort of quip about the word coincidence off air, but isn't it true that coincidentally how those relationships tend to find them, they, they tend to, we tend to coincide with each other. Yeah. I, you we? see, I think that's absolutely true. You know, I, I often, I, I've given both of my children the same advice that I got from my mother as a, as a kid. You know, when you start to get to the age where dating becomes a thing, I remember my mum saying to me, you know, you'll, you'll date many, uh, many people, many women, many girls, uh, and you'll have lots of fun and heartache along the way. <laughs> but one day you will just meet somebody and you will just know. Yeah. Right? And the interesting thing is that I remember my mum saying to me that for a long time you'll enjoy dating and you'll be out there being very proactive at it, you know, which we all do as teenagers, yeah. boys yeah. or girls, whatever our persuasion. Once yeah. you discover that part of your life, it becomes almost all encompassing, right? Yeah. And you just go out and date and you want to date. And it doesn't really matter who you date. You just want to be dating, right? Yeah. It's very old. We're very old fashioned, aren't we? The term <laughs> dating. Our kids are probably cringing listening to this. But the truth is you tend to meet a life partner or a long-term partner or a soulmate. Not necessarily the, the life, but, you know, the people that really make that greatest difference to you when you're not on the market, when you're not looking, Absolutely. when you're not out there swiping left or right on Tinder to bring it back bag up to date you know yeah. and I've often said the same thing to my own children as they started their dating lives you know enjoy yourselves but don't believe you will meet the one when you're out trying to meet the one and I look back on you know the, the, the my wife that I talked about meeting at college as, as young people I wasn't looking at that time to form a relationship or to having meaningful interaction with a with another human being I was busy being a student and just luxuriating in the fact that I found a tribe that I belonged to mm. you know so dating wasn't at the forefront of my mind having a partner wasn't at the forefront of my mind and that was the moment at which I met my soulmate and actually both of us went into that relationship quite blase it was quite relaxed it was yeah. you know we'll go we'll go out to the cinema I might go for a meal I'm at a loose end and the next thing you know you're sat together 28 years later looking at the world going bloody hell how did this happen um, and I think that that is that thing about trust and faith and not ever trying to over, we over engineer so much in our lives and we've got to be better at not doing that yep um and, and that's very true what Richard said there, because for me, you know, there's almost a parallel. Well, there is a parallel to be had in terms of um, what what Richard referred to earlier on around this, um, you know, this external success that the world bestows or perceives around us is actually, it is just that, it's external. And the fact that, and I think Richard used the term polyfiller, uh, which for me was appropriate, but that internalism, if there is such a word, is, is what it's all about. So to put that in the context of what Richard just said, that internalism is, look, I'm me. I'm not really looking for a wife or a husband or whatever. I'm not really looking for a partner. I'm just me. And then, you know, call it coincidence. Let's, let's keep throwing that word out there. Well, actually, you two, why don't you get together for the rest of your lives? And, and that, to me, is a great sort of reinforcer, as I say, what Richard was talking about earlier on, about the, you know, don't go looking for that external success. It will follow you. Once you are 
you know, you're, you've got that inner wholesomeness for the right reasons, the rest will just fall into place. And you won't have to go looking for it. You probably won't even know it. Uh, you know, I speak to people now that say, I can't believe this is happening to me. What's happening? I'm on such a lucky good run. Yeah. Are you really? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's interesting. A lucky good run. I think, you know, that's exactly right. We... <laughs> I think that point is so powerful. We are conditioned to spend so much of our lives in pursuit of success. Yeah. Um, that, you know, I often described that one of the tragedies for a lot of people in their lives is they're sat on a train and they're so busy looking at their laptop. Mm. They're missing all the beauty out of the window. Yeah. Right? And actually, I think too many of us go through our lives that way. We're so busy pursuing the success that's on our laptop yeah. that actually the real joy, the real beauty is out the window. Yeah. And for those people who are lucky enough to have the courage, the confidence to sit back, shut their laptop and look out the window... That's the moment they start to open up the possibilities to their lives. That's the moment where suddenly they're looking at the beauty of the landscape, the opportunity, the pathway that constitutes a journey, something that tweaks their interest and their passion. That's the point at which you find your sense of purpose. Yes. And I think that's so incredibly important that we all at least gain an, an awareness that the pursuit of the projected success that society has layered on us is like looking at the laptop. We've got to shut the laptop and look out the window for a while and then goodness only knows where that opportunity, that image, that glimpse might take us. But it's those people that then describe those, oh, I'm on a lucky run. I can't believe that I found myself living the life I wanted to leave, right? But the truth is those are the people that have shut the laptop and looked out the window. Yeah. Absolutely. And and just uh, by way of sort of bringing things to a conclusion now, Richard, the F word, faith, you've mentioned faith, and this is the epitome for faith for me, not in a denominational sense, but to know that actually, despite my insecurities, despite my vulnerabilities, my fears, because there's this constant chatter within the mind around fear and this this dichotomy between fear and love and i'd love to regroup with you on another podcast just on that fear versus love yeah um you know dichotomy as i say um so there's this all this constant stuff going off but for me it's having faith somebody said what is your faith paul because i used to get in a lot of trouble because i've got a um you know from a, a strong irish background um of of the green persuasion and I was brought up with the blue persuasion. So I grew up very confused. Yeah. Well, actually, the reality as I did, I was okay, I thought, but there was a lot of confusion around my upbringing because I belonged to neither. And I got in fights with both factions because I don't belong to you and I don't belong to you. And at that age, I didn't even understand what I was saying. Yeah. It was a reason for a fight. But actually, the truth of the matter was very solid. We, it, for me now, faith is about understanding. I am me with all my so-called weaknesses, labels, whatever. But I know that I am on a path to serve humanity, whatever that looks like. And I've got that faith to know that when I go to my bed at night and it's dark and I feel vulnerable and insecure, I can overcome that because in the morning when, the, when there's daylight, I'll have a sense of purpose and it's pick up the sword and off we go again. Where yeah. will that take us? I don't know. Yeah. I think, and, and that's such a powerful place to close this out, really, because I think you'll see everything speaks back to that, to faith, to 
you know, all of those things come together and catalyze your faith in yourself. The mirror thing, the Shirley Bassey thing. It's that moment where you have faith in yourself, your judgment, your talent, your ability, your... um, the, the, the things that the profound sense of purpose you have they all come down to that sense of faith or confidence um and people can find their faith in many many different ways you know i i am not a, a religious person in any way shape or form but i have met so i have met uh, priests and ministers and rabbis um and imams who are all deeply passionate about their faith and that faith comes from a religious doctrine and a religious belief and a religious teaching and I know those people are genuinely passionate in the belief that that is their way of leaving a legacy for the world and they find you know they find profound happiness and satisfaction and I think that's incredibly important and in some ways they're very lucky because they have a mapped out faith they have something pretty concrete to to guide them Mm. right for some of us who aren't lucky enough to believe necessarily in a religious faith in a religious doctrine or background those that pursuit is not quite so um crystal it's a little bit more um abstract yes and i think therefore sometimes it's very hard to trust your sense of faith when it's not crystal, it's not there for everybody else to see and understand. Um, But that doesn't mean it's any less worth pursuing. And I think that's the key. As long as you know what you are, you know who you are, you understand your attitudes and reflexes and reactions to the world, and you understand how to use those things to make yourself feel better and for the betterment of your peers, then you trust your faith and then you live a life of purpose and then on the day when your final day comes you can breathe your last breath smile and say i left the world a better place than i found it wow and that six words really i I kind of made a note um mainly richard about how you know when, when you've said obviously everything that you've said uh, before I before I offer those final six, six words to close this this fascinating and insightful episode, can I just ask you how how can people find more about you, Richard? What are your contact details? Where, where, where can we learn more about the the amazing stuff you do and your insights? Well, I mean, really, um, I, I guess you know, like many people in in the modern world, I'm all over the internet, so people can engage with me through my website, which is just simply richardgerver.com. They can engage with me on Twitter, at Richard Gerver. They can go to Amazon and look up my books if they're so disposed, and and YouTube. What I will say to people, and I've always been very proud of this, is that if people connect with me directly, either through the website or Twitter or one of those mediums or my email, I will promise them that I will personally respond and interact with them. and, and likewise, you know, if people want to tell me about their journeys, their lives, their triumphs, their concerns, the things they're interested in, passionate about, or whatever else it would be, I would be delighted. Because I think ultimately, 
the one thing I know about myself more than anything else is education has always been so important to me because of my own fixation with learning. So it's interaction that would make the difference to me. So I plea with people to interact because it's the best way for me to learn to develop and to feed my own sense of purpose. Super. Richard, sincere gratitude for you know not only your time, but certainly, as I say, your insights, which I know I know the background. You know, we've been on a journey um, for about 15 years now. Yeah, unbelievable, huh? Yes, I, I've yeah. known you nearly as long as I've known my wife. Yeah. And on that um, humorous note, I will bring things to a close with, just want to leave you with these six words, which I think sums up perfectly what this episode's been around. And, it, and it's quite simply this. Find your purpose, change the world. Hearts, helping everyone achieve results towards success.